Welcome to Growth Maestros by Mo Engage. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to industry leaders from various business verticals and understand their approach towards marketing and growth. We'll be focusing on aspects like customer acquisition, retention, engagement, and personalization among others, and provide key insights to our community of product owners. This is your opportunity to learn and emulate these learnings in your campaigns and marketing initiatives to churn exceptional results. Studies suggest 89% higher customer retention among retailers with a well-designed omni-channel loyalty program, with 73% of customers preferring to shop through multiple channels. Stats like this, which highlight the need to build a loyalty program and how to do so in 20 minutes is what we covered the last time we spoke to Cory Kraft, who handles global technology partnership at Talent One. And joining us today, we have Sam Panzer, who leads the strategy practice at Talent One. In today's episode, Sam is going to help us understand how to create rich, personalized experiences through data-driven loyalty by utilizing zero and first-party data. Welcome to Growth Maestros, Sam. How have we been doing? Hey, Rajarshi, great to great to be here today. Yeah, I've been well. This is the this is the crazy time of year for us when loyalty operators are planning their 2024 approach. Q4 is mostly locked and loaded, so brands are thinking, okay, where do we need to get next year, and what can we put in front of members to get there? So, you know, this week, for example, working with a B2B landscape supply company, an at-home massage booking platform, and a $20 billion global retailer, all in the span of a couple of days here. So it's fascinating to talk about what customers want in such different industries and model out what, what might it be worth to the business if you're able to introduce this sort of benefit to your members to, to build a more emotional bond. Fa- fascinating stuff, but definitely uh, definitely the, the, the crazy time of year here at Town One. Absolutely, absolutely. I think very, um, very detailed insights uh, cramped up into such a short answer. Um, I, I think, but uh, definitely, this is one of the craziest times of the year, even um, across. I, I, I would say your B two B and B two C industries as well, with the festive season coming, and um, I think a lot of uh, lot of sale periods are going to be hosted across, and we sort of see the same trend as a customer engagement platform as well. Um, but yeah, thanks, thanks for joining us today, Sam. Uh, so Sam has been with Tal- one for the past five years, supporting brands like Adidas, REI, River Island, uh, Live Nation, and Burger King to optimize their promotional spend and engineering experiences that drive repeat purchases and brings a depth of experience of how the world's most beloved brands incentivize and reward users to build an emotional brand, um, as Sam already mentioned. Sam, tell us about your experience prior to Talent One and um, if you have solved for any interesting use cases that you would like to share uh, with the listeners today. Yeah, I've always been a always been a retail guy. Uh, so did some a- analyst work in the grocery space specifically, but but got my start building messaging strategies for hotels and shopping center operators. So our, our main thesis in that business was that negative reviews are extremely costly. So if you take hotels for an example, even a 0.1 star decrease in TripAdvisor rating can drop bookings by over 10%, which can totally ruin a business if you planned around a certain occupancy. And on the retail side, some of it was conversational commerce, like helping users find items to buy. But a lot of it was really just navigating really large, complex environments like shopping centers. Big shopping centers can have over a million square feet of retail space. That's like 10 football pitches, take you seven hours to walk through most American shopping malls. They're huge. So so what can you do to intercept bad experiences before they end up online? How do you minimize friction and pain that users associate with visiting a mall? And how do you do that in a way that's extremely lean so white glove service but at scale 
So I did that with a lot of shopping center operators like Mall of America, Westfield, Caruso, um, a lot of the really premier retail uh, environments in the United States and Canada and really got to know kind of, okay, what do consumers care about when they're shopping in person? Um, and how do we kind of extend that using technology in a, in a built environment? Awesome. Awesome. I think um, um, very, very good insights there and like really good, interesting use cases. Um, so Sam, let's kick off um, with data-driven loyalty and what it means in context of, uh, you know, personalization using your zero and first party data, especially now that, uh, you know, the, the eventual sunset of third party cookies is uh, pretty inevitable. Yeah, there's two there's two big forces at play there. So first, like you mentioned, there's less and less third party data available to marketers. And the other thing is that there's a huge sea of sameness in terms of what loyalty programs offer. Most loyalty programs do the exact same thing with slightly different packaging. They're earn and burn programs where you earn points to get discounts and oh, lo and behold, maybe you get free shipping in a, in a birthday discount, right? That's not really moving the needle anymore in terms of building an emotional connection or, or driving repeat purchases. All it's likely doing is subsidizing a couple purchases that were going to happen anyways. So, so what does better look like? Brands need to be able to build with their customers' data to deliver something that's actually personalized and meaningful to the member. And the tricky thing, obviously, is different customers want different things from your brand. There are very few brands where you have one straight and narrow path of what your customers want. So loyalty programs really need to be agile enough to, to mean different things to different users while obviously keeping a consistent value proposition to all of your members. So there's a ton that goes into that if it's segmenting users, uh, using propensity modeling or RFM data whenever you're going to them with offer, off, offers, rewarding members for sharing data with the brand, um, et cetera. But ultimately, we want to help our customers break away from overbroad, expensive discounts that that waste waste budget and and burn margin, and instead run run profitable promotions. Right? There's also obviously a growing movement towards privacy and anti-tracking. So brands really need to be you know continually ahead of that. I think that if you read kind of our brands ready for the de full deprecation of of Google uh, Chrome cookies, for example. You know, the answer is no. Brands really are not ready for that lack of third-party data. They're going to be they're going to be uh, losing over the next um, next twelve months. Um, so loyalty programs are a really good way to to rise up and meet that channel. But but ultimately, the technology and the customer data flow and the channels on the engagement side need to all be connected to actually do that in a meaningful way and and feed insight about the customer back to the business. The other thing loyalty programs are really good at is is collecting zero party data that users proactively and willingly share with customer with, with the brands so it includes obviously observational stuff in the in the in the first party sense of product preferences what have they done what do they look at etc but but there's also a lot of really important stuff you should be doing to to enable users to share data with the brand and tell them why that's going to help them get better experiences, better value, better deals, whatever. Obviously there's ways to gamify that and make sure that that's kind of fun and engaging for the member. But really I think we're entering into an era where consumers are gonna be less uh, less comfortable with, with creepy data that has been kind of acquired through through sketchy channels like it has in the past. The, the whole play that playbook, the whole marketing playbook is changing. It used to be very targeted, data intensive, third party driven and a little bit creepy. But we're really moving into a moment where, where brands are going to need to have consent-driven relationship marketing with their customers. And loyalty programs are obviously the, the strongest and, and most 
widely understood vehicle to do that. Customers are willing to share data in a loyalty context in a way that they might not. If I'm just trying to make a purchase, I don't really want to tell you, I don't know what I'm interested in from your brand. I just want to make my purchase. But if there's a loyalty program that I've said, yes, I'm a part of this, that bit of commitment to join the program is a good indicator that I'm going to be happy to share a little bit more about what I'm looking for from your brand in the space that you preserve. Absolutely. I think um, especially the, the the part that you mentioned in context with uh, you know, getting the consent from the customers in terms of analyzing and collating their data, um, in fact, for personalizing their experiences, uh, but at the same time, getting the consent is something that is growing across the globe. I think the West already had it in form of your GDPR compliances and your CCPA compliances. I think especially uh, in context of Middle East also, we have some of the compliances there. And um, in fact, with India stepping into the whole um, the whole DPDP bill or digital data privacy protection bill, um, uh, which is which has been tabled by both of the houses, um, it's it's going to emphasize on the fact, um, you know, in terms of the importance of zero party and first party data. Um, I, I personally feel that in the long run, it is going to pay off, um, and I'm guessing that's a very popular opinion as well, because you know um, you will then actually personalize based on what the customer needs and wants um instead of you know having to depend especially using their first party data or zero party data which they willingly share uh, versus something that you can get from a cookie right um so mm -hmm. the cookie crumble i feel is going to ultimately help uh, brands become more customer centric what do you say so yeah absolutely i mean i i'm i'm i haven't haven't had the chance to uh to visit india yet but the little i know about the the consumer culture there I think there is a, a really strong culture around relationship-driven commerce. There, it's just reading in a in a book about um, like a door-to-door -door vacuum sales company that a lot of um, uh, that a lot of Indian folks might have memories from their childhood of a vacuum salespeople coming to door-to-door -door and how interactive those were and how door-to-door -door sales vacuum cleaners would actually make like a sale every four visits or something like that, like really high hit rate because there's an expectation of having some relationship and some dialogue with your seller. So I think that um, that even if the, 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 the actual like privacy landscape is gonna remain extremely fragmented uh, in cultures that are relationship and, and value driven, uh, loyalty programs are really strong in saying, you know, hey, we can build a, a closer bond together. And in doing so, you're gonna get, you know, some good deals, you're gonna get some value back from the brand. I think it fits in a lot of different cultural contexts and, and you know, we're a German company. I'm an American. I've lived in Germany for five years. So I think a lot about kind of what does culture mean for loyalty programs and, and commerce in general? You know, Germans, for example, really, really just want discounts and, and hate kind of sparkly, uh, flashy branding that we as Americans, you know, love to tell kind of a, a BS story about products. Um, so there's a huge cultural context of what works and what doesn't. But overall, I think loyalty programs are, are a really good vehicle to to meet, you know, both the, the changing data landscape, but also to be able to operate, you know, in harmony with the culture that you're trading in. Um, and especially kind of do that cross-border too. So if you're operating across a region with really different cultures, loyalty programs are a good vehicle to deliver different experiences in different markets, different benefits, different members, um, et cetera, and kind of, uh, um, you know, sort of fragment your marketing approach in a way that's still efficient to manage and and rolls up to a really positive revenue and margin story for the business. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, very great insights there, uh, Sam. I think, in, in fact, in that way, a lot of similarity between Indians and Germans, I would say. Um, <laughs> we are also value-conscious buyers, and uh, 
you know absolutely care about uh, discounts and no flashy marketing and you know of course uh, substance over style some of the best dishes that you have made so far and what is your generally your go to cuisine yeah i i cook i mean i guess a lot of european stuff um mushrooms are are absolutely incredible I experiment with any new variety of mushroom i can get my hands on not the magical variety i should probably mention on a professional podcast uh but mushrooms are just incredible they offer tons of promise in terms of nutrient load sustainability and they're they're freaking delicious i really, really love the netflix documentary fantastic fungi some mushrooms are even capable of breaking down oil spills and toxic waste they're just crazy crazy organisms uh in the kitchen most people totally undercook mushrooms it's kind of my soapbox thing they really deserve some hard browning i i, I do a deep fried oyster mushroom sandwich it's pretty amazing replacement for fried chicken I also grow my own uh, tempeh and the fungus that you use to make soy sauce and miso. So really geeky stuff. I love uh, I love fermentation. Uh, but I guess my two <laughs> my two takeaways: first, make sure your loyalty program is actually able to use customer data and customer channels. And second, cook your mushrooms until they're nicely browned. Those are my two my two main <laughs> main messages for listeners today. Lovely, lovely. Uh, are you also um, do you also game from time to time? I, I, you know, I, I'm uh, the kind of guy who really, if I'm playing a video game, I want my mind to just drift off into a total stupor. So I play like uh, Red Dead Redemption, Skyrim, kind of really open world games where I can just go click around, pick flowers, uh, go hunting. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a, I hate puzzles in games, right? Like I, I, my, my, my work is so intellectually challenging that when I, uh, when I escape from, from day-to-day -day life, I want to be in like a, a low stress, low drama, open setting where I can just go bubble around outside without getting off the couch. So that's that's my gaming style, not the most hardcore. Fair enough, fair enough. But uh, you know, mushrooms and gaming, you know where I'm getting at with this. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so so uh, hope you don't run into any cordyceps anytime soon. Um, yep, yep, absolutely, exactly. Or, or for a friendly example, I guess there are mushrooms in Super Mario. Uh, Super Mario too, if we're not playing The Last of Us. Um, but yeah, the last of us is a bit stressful and and intense for me. I just want to pick the mushrooms, not be infested by them, and turn into a zombie. <laughs> I I would love to talk uh, more about games and mushrooms, but I think as a follow-up, <laughs> uh, uh, what what do you what do you feel um, in terms of you know data playing a role in creating some of these personalized experiences? Yeah, it's it's I mean it's it's the whole. The whole magic of it is is being able to take data and, and 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 use that to inform what experiences and incentives you put in front of the customer. Uh, of course, it's impossible to 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 um to to overstate how difficult that is for brands to do because you know the structure of that data, um, what's meaningful. Can you actually get to a volume of your customers where that's helpful, where it's enough of a scale to actually you know to actually run things based off of, um, but. But data, especially zero and first party, really allow brands to establish direct relationships, collect insights about their preferences, and, and then market to them more reliably. Um, so third party cookies, you know, they rely on tracking stuff, uh, external actions. It's a it, understanding of their journey, but the first and the zero party is a is a much better understanding of of what they actually want from your brand. There's there's tons of examples of brands that do that well. So there's the Australian lift program flybys, for example. Their preference center is pretty good. Super simple thing where you can just put in your obviously your your contact information, but also 
people in your household, number of vehicles, uh, if the member owns the business, um, month of the year where they intend to renew insurance policies or phone contracts, how often they travel, what loyalty programs they're a member of, and all those things are then used to, to enrich and to, to, you know, to pass value back to the, to the Flybys member. So there's lots of examples like that. And you know, I think Flybys is a good example of like a pretty approachable one. Like if we get 5% of our members to fill out this data and then we're able to activate, you know, a small part, small slice of the meaningful offer, there's still probably enough ROI there to justify the work. Um, participating is, you know, gonna be voluntary for a lot of those, but for flybys, they can they can build a, a pretty comprehensive member profile. Um, another example I talk about in the US is Hungry Root. So Hungry Root is uh, basically like a grocery uh, grocery delivery service that personalizes your your cart based on um, recipes. So suggest recipes using an AI suggestion engine. So 70% of their items today are suggested by AI. They're growing 50% year over year, 2 million orders a year, over 200 million in annual revenue. But what's really cool is that in order to use Hungryroot to get your grocery delivery recommended list, you have to fill out uh, a survey about your preferences and your goals. It's less than 20 questions, takes maybe 10 minutes to fill out, but the questions are really clever. So it's like, how much do you, how much time do you like to spend cooking? Uh, what appliances do you have in your kitchen? How many are in the household? What are your goals nutritionally? What flavors do you like? Do you like plant-based proteins? If so, which kinds? What are like your top disliked foods? And the, I really recommend listeners go and, and go through that Hungry Root survey because the structure of the questions varies to keep users engaged. It's really good about kind of showing users their progress towards completing the survey. So you feel like I'm on my way. They also have an incentive in place. Usually it's uh, a 30% off your first order if you complete the survey. And then you then you you complete the survey and then it spits out a personalized uh, grocery list uh, rolling up to a couple of recipes. It's so like when I did it, it was uh, actually generated some really interesting appetizing meals like a Korean barbecue one, a, a Mexican a fajita night. It, it was pretty good and actually matched better, you know, what I want to cook more than I've seen from any other grocery delivery service. And, and again, it's because they take the time to collect data from every single user of the product. You can't access it without, without sharing that data. So I think that's kind of on like the other end of the spectrum of, of a brand saying, you know what, we need this year in first party data in order to serve you at all. And then on the other end, there's, there's kind of the more passive aspect of, hey, if you give us this, you know, maybe we'll send you some better offers. Both are great. And I think that brands need to think honestly about what's the journey that we can move on and how do we get started with collecting a little bit of data, testing it and seeing, okay, does this allow us to meaningfully move the needle if we collect maybe just this one attribute from customers? Do a test on that and then see, can you change behavior using that one attribute as a way to justify further work and further exploration to, to, run, uh, to run offers and, and, and market based on more data you collect from the user? Thanks, Sam. I think those, uh, I mean, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Uh, and you're not just going with a, a blanket approach there. Uh, but, you know, you, you mentioned that there are uh, there, there are some brands that will, uh, you know, um, can still experiment or uh, can, can like two different models to choose from. And you said mostly it works uh, based on different organizations. But how would you say it would work on, say, something of scale, right? 
um say a, a, a mini to say a mid market organization versus say a, a very big corporation or an um, or or something sort of a conglomerate how would it vary for them yeah i think the the complexity of the customer data platform is the main thing so if you think about like a a global enterprise retailer they're probably selling very different inventory in every market that they're in at different prices uh, with different digital domains. So in those cases, just like centralizing the customer data in a way that's meaningful is going to be a huge challenge. If you're if you're uh, like a successful DTC company with um, you know maybe like a shorter list of of SKUs that you're selling and you're only in one or two or three markets, that's going to be a bit, a bit a bit easier to have a CDP where you have like the meaningful single record of the customer. Um, so so I think the complexity mainly comes down to the customer data landscape on the evaluation side. So like what Town One does, where we're, we're evaluating the rules in a in a promotion or in a loyalty benefit based on whatever data the customer has in their stack. So that could come from the CDP, the CRM, the commerce platform. Uh, past campaigns they've engaged with from from a provider like MoEngage, and then we're of course like, of course, pushing that back out to the engagement channel along the user's preferences. So MoEngage is a great partner for us here because, you know, it's a good it's a good platform to then market back to the user in the way that we know that they like and to put those offers in front of members um, through, you know, performative engaging uh, engaging messages that are sent in whatever the users whatever the user's channel is right. So, so for me, like the complexity is always, you need the CDP, you need the evaluation engine to evaluate the data and, and, and generate the offers and incentives and need the engagement channel. I think that enterprise players have usually experimented with trying to do all of that in one house. So doing all that in Salesforce or all of that in SAP. And those are just such different domains and such different skill sets that even if it's built by one vendor, they're probably not going to be really harmonized products and they're probably not going to be able to be good at all three of those. Right. So I think that it, the more complex your use cases, the more likely it is you're going to need to, to go to, to best in breed vendors who are really good about evaluation, really good about engagement or really good about the customer data architecture uh, to run, to, to run personalized experiences. Um, so obviously there's some complexity that comes with that, but that's just kind of the, the, the reality is that, uh, the CDP fundamentals need to be in place. The evaluation engine needs to be really robust and performative and the engagement channels need to be wherever the user wants them to be. Makes sense, Sam, makes sense. I think that that will definitely um, clear a lot of things up for our listeners today. Now let's talk about the metrics that uh, different teams should be looking at and uh, which teams do you think should be driving the effort here? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> you know, Generally, like a lot of what Town One does is around incentives, so loyalty program benefits and promotions, so referrals, coupons, uh, you know, discounts the member can work towards. So in that, that's usually run by marketing or channel managers or inventory folks, whoever they might be. But I think that in these cases, especially where you're thinking about collecting and using more data, the financial analysis is really important. So I think there's 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 a layer of like analytics and, and finance of like how are the offers performing, how's our engagements that they really need to be pretty robust. But to get to talk about the specific types of metrics uh, and the teams that are needed to drive uh, good work here. I mean, first there's the actual zero and, and first party data. So the zero party data is is willingly provided by consumers about their preferences, interests, and intent. 
uh, et cetera. And first party data is gathered from their, their actions. So what have they actually done with the brand? So those things blend together, but um, those are gonna be collected in different places. So first party data is gonna be more collected from your product and technology to use to make sure you're tracking and collecting those things effectively. Whereas zero party data is gonna be more, what can we put in front of the front, in the front end for the user to share that with us um, how do we ask that in email campaigns, whatever it is to collect that. Um, and then obviously that needs to get into one consistent CDP where you can actually work on it. Um, so already we've talked about a couple different teams. So there is a lot of complexity in this. And I think that, you know, generally brands need to have a pretty cohesive customer data strategy in place. Um, and, and then there's obviously like the, the, the life cycle indicators, like uh, what's their life cycle, uh, their lifetime spend, when did they first make a purchase? Um, all the, the first party stuff around what brands they like, what what items they've looked at in the past, the zero party stuff, but what they want more of or what they're with a brand to do. Um, but you need all that stuff able to be evaluated in in rules for incentives. That's kind of where where we come in, and then to push that back uh, to the team, to to the to the customer. So uh, very cross functional collaboration between back-end development for the first party, front-end for the zero party, um, everything marketing to actually put that back in front of the customer and, and then finance to make sure that anything you do with that is is doing doing so in a way that's still gonna contribute positively to profit and margin of any incentives that you're you're running. So it's a it's a it's a team sport for sure. Very well put there, um, I think, Sam, in terms of you know, the collaboration and various different teams involved in a complex sort of operation like this. Um, so, you know, speaking of collaboration and team sports, um, uh, do you follow any particular sports um, or something that is your go-to maybe after a long day at work or even waking up at the uh, early hours to catch something? Uh, uh, I grew up playing American football, but then I had too many concussions, uh, so I had to, had to stop. So I still like American football, but... Mostly, uh, mostly a hobby. Weightlifter is my main, my main game these days. Okay. No, I'm, I mean, like, I'm so sorry to hear about the concussions, but I hope uh, uh. <laughs> weightlifting game is going pretty well. Uh, so, if you had to compare loyalty and personalization aspect um, to a particular sporting event um, or a strategy within that particular sport or the entire sport itself, um, what would that be and why? Ooh, that's a that's a great question. I mean, I think that the like my, my obvious instinct is that it has to be a team sport where you're harmonizing across different different activities to run complex plays. But for some reason, the one that comes to mind is actually billiards or pool because there's something about how you're you're gracefully taking one action against the cue ball to hopefully trigger a cascade of different positive events. So when you hit the cue ball and you hit a couple balls. You know, in the best case, you're able to hit two different balls in two different pockets using the same shot if you're really able to kind of think strategically. So I think that's kind of that, that, that kind of comes to mind with marketing. In this one type of offer, can we speak compellingly to two different segments or two different audiences and get them to do two different things by having kind of a dynamic ability to say that, okay, for this user, we're going to give them a, 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 a nudge towards a category we think they like that they haven't tried yet. Whereas in this user, we're going to be kind of doubling down with um, with uh, items they buy frequently. We know that they like. So you know, I think that your technology and your 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 marketing touches with the customer need to be able to kind of tell different stories and influence different outcomes. Um, so I kind of like uh, billiards or 
or snooker, but I have no idea how snooker actually works as beautiful of a game as it is to, as it is to watch. That makes sense. I think a lot of insights there, um, Sam. So, um, you know, we we have touched upon a briefly about um, some of the use cases in terms of how zero party and first party data can help um, you know drive data driven loyalty um how do you think some of these zero party and first party data um can be optimized or can be you know maximized on um and do you have or would you have any instances where brands have done that successfully yeah definitely I think that um, you know we have a customer uh, twin set, so they're a, a retailer here in Europe, and, and they do a really good job of of layering in uh, RFM data in all of their all of their, uh, their 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 CRM activations. So they they use Talent One to send reactivation offers to the loyalty members, and they're really personalized based on recency, frequency, and monetary value. So recency, when did we last see the brand, see the user? Frequency, how often do they come to us? Monetary value, what have they spent? But also, where have they spent? So do they prefer boutique versus you know large uh, uh, fashion houses? What are their what's kind of their proven first party experience? So the first party data that you've observed from their their actions with the brand. Um, so I, I like that. Um, JC Penny is an interesting brand to me because they they're 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 they're, they're definitely a, a a, a legacy kind of department store uh, building uh, uh, business, but they but they are you know obviously trying to modernize in different ways. So they have some pretty good online quizzing to understand their users' lifestyle preferences and shopping habits. Obviously, with department stores, it's really difficult to know what part of your offering the customer actually cares about when you sell you know everything from from toasters to wedding dresses. So I think that you know our our, our customers often will think about it in terms of what are the the lanes the customer is on, and can we nudge them? So if they're if they're buying beauty items and and perfume, can we nudge them towards uh, towards like skincare? Can we nudge them towards uh, towards towards female? I don't know, like like undergarments and intimates or, or whatever it might be, and kind of think about you know is it worth investing in an offer to nudge them across lanes based on the first party data that you've observed? Um, on the the zero party side. Um, so the JCPenney example, obviously, I talked about Hungry Root a little earlier. Um, uh, airlines tend to do this pretty well, too. I mean, around surveying. Uh, so Cont Contest Airlines, the uh, uh, flight carrier in Australia, they do a lot of surveys that, that cover a wide range of topics about, you know, what the program, what the, the member recommend the, pro the, the program, obviously, what competitor uh, programs the member belongs to, how the member redeems those points, kind of competitive research in there, too. And obviously, with a loyalty program in place, it's really easy to reward users for sharing that kind of data um, in a in a zero party way. So it's a mix. I mean, I think that you know the RFM and propensity first party indicators are really important. Um, and the zero party stuff, uh, yeah, there's kind of a lot of ways to a lot of ways to get at it. But I think that you know if you're kind of a multi a multi category retailer, a multi category business i think the zero party can be really powerful in helping you understand can we nudge users across our uh our inventory or, or you know um yeah help 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 nudge users towards different different journeys with the brand that might increase their lifetime spend or increase their frequency awesome i think very very interesting point shared there sam and i think the lovely example from jcpenney and Qantas as well um now 
I think we have discussed about how to go about, you know, setting up the data-driven sort of a loyalty program and put it in place. Um, whether you should, you know, deliberately ask for first-party um, or zero-party insights while onboarding a customer, or whether you should let that go. And we also discussed about how you can optimize your first-party and zero-party data. Um, I, I think you have shared some really, really insightful, um, you know, pointers there um, for our listeners today to go and emulate in their day-to-day -day campaigns. Uh, but lastly, in your experience, uh, what role does a platform like Talent One, uh, coupled with a CEP or a customer engagement platform, play in driving a personalized customer experiences? Therefore, you know, leading to higher loyalty. Uh, you have mentioned about uh, um, Talent One working in conjunction with, say, something like. Um, a CDP, or you have briefly alluded to uh, a CV like MoEngage, but what what role essentially does it play in driving that higher loyalty? Yeah, yeah, we're we are the evaluation piece of incentives. So, what are the the conditions and effects that you would put in front of a user for them to get some value from the brand? So, conditions would be things like. If we know you like this brand, you regularly purchase from us once a quarter, but we haven't seen you in, in six months, then it's probably worth offering you an incentive on an item, but only where the gross margin of that item is above 80% or whatever it might be. So it's really like the the, the rules-based evaluation built with any data is our is our focus. So we stream data in, uh, we have native integration to the into the basket. So what's what's the user doing? Um, you know, in the commerce site or in the app, but then we can also, you know, stream in data live from a CDP or a CRM and say, okay, if it's been a while or if the user um, is above a certain spend, then then give them this benefit. But Talent One itself, we we obviously want to communicate those incentives and those benefits beyond the the commerce platform. So that's where our product is really is at its best and we're integrated into a CEP like like Mo Engage so that we can push those benefits out to the member in their channels. Um, kind of on the engine side, so what that looks like for our customers, uh, our customers on average have 72 data points available in promotional rules. So that would be things like what's their favorite, uh, favorite item, what categories have they purchased before, what's their lifetime spend, um, anything about the item, like what's the margin of that item, how many items are left, when was it released, when will it sell out? It's a ton that goes into, but we really want to give our, our our marketers as much data as possible to work with in the rules they build. So for Adidas, for example, um, they, they with Town One, they have about four and a half times more data available for use in promotional rules than the than than what happens with that is that you can then deliver more targeted promotions, more personalized promotions promotions that are less detritive towards your margin and profit um, while still driving top line revenue. Because most are, most marketers are stuck saying, hey, it's it's Memorial Day, it's Labor Day in the US, we're gonna do a 40% site-wide discount or it's Black Friday and we're gonna get 20% off site-wide. Um, those things just don't really, uh, you know, they, they you really need to increase your volume a lot with a discount like that for it to be worth it in terms of margin revenue. And even then, you're probably going to introduce a ton of operational pains and support tickets and all kinds of downstream uh, downstream issues. So instead, our focus is on how do you deliver really targeted, personalized offers using whatever data you have in the MarTech stack, and then communicate it to the user in a way that's engaging to them via a, a platform like MoEngage. 
I think very well explained and very well elaborated on Sam, you know, breaking those up into different parts and explain how it would work in conjunction with a CDP or a CEP there. Uh, now, before we call it today, Sam, uh, uh, we'd love to hear that, you know, what are some of your go-to resources when it comes to personalization or loyalty strategies or marketing in general, right? And what is the most important lesson, one most important lesson, if you had to pick one, um, that you have learned and which you apply in your day-to-day -day experiences? Yeah, in terms of resources, I mean, I'm, I'm a big reader. So I, I just have a book that arrived today actually called The Person in Personalization. Uh, it is by David Mannheim, who's a, a personalization expert in the UK. So I'm really excited to read that one. Uh, just started as a suspension because it's sitting here on my desk. Um, otherwise, Loyalty Programs, The Complete Guide by Phil Shelper is, is my like desk reference for loyalty program strategy and stuff. All kinds of great stuff in there about loyalty psychology and um what are like the economic models to measure the impact of the loyalty program it's really detailed but it's a super good uh manual for anybody who's who's running loyalty programs um yeah i think the uh other resources um otherwise sorry cut this stuff out um yeah, yeah and the, then yeah and, and then in terms in terms of important lessons that I think about every day uh, in my my work advising brands on their loyalty program approach. Um, I really think about that every brand has a path to build an emotional bond with their member. Okay, maybe some don't, but really most do. However, exactly how you, you play with the member's emotions and, and build drive something closer to the brand varies so, so much based on industry. So I think that Ultimately, like that's where I kind of am, am continually most impressive loyalty marketers I work with is that they're able to speak about, hey, what does it mean to be a really, really good vendor to a, a, a landscaping supply business in, in rural America versus a luxury retail uh, buyer? There are always people in the business who really understand that and know what their members want. The challenge, they usually just don't have the technology to actually do anything with that. So they're stuck kind of discounting and, and such. That's that's really where I um, spend most of my time is like, okay, you know what emotional loyalty looks like for the for, for, for your customers and how can we actually help you tap into it? So I think for me, it's like day-to-day, uh, -day, I really try and keep that keep that close and, and think about what does emotional loyalty look like in different businesses and, and, and remember that every business has a way to build that but it's different in every business and you're not going to get there just by capturing what Delta does with SkyMiles or something, right? Like you can't just copy what other programs are doing. You need to think really, really carefully about what's your competitive just competitive advantage versus your, versus your, your competitors um, and what's like an earnestly valuable way that you can make your members life a, a little better. Yeah, absolutely. I think again, um, just recapping um, what, what what we have done throughout i think you've provided some really really wonderful insights there um in the last question as as well sam uh thanks a lot for joining us today um and you know sharing such deep insights on how zero party and first party data can be utilized for you know structuring or creating this data-driven loyalty program wherein you can provide rich personalized experiences to your customers um and you know ultimately which can drive up your revenue and your roi and all of those other metrics i'm sure our listeners will greatly appreciate all the valuable inputs um 
thank you so much again uh, uh, sam i think it was really interesting for me to have all of this discussion with you um we we really need to connect sometime over uh, you know the gaming and the mushroom and also the yeah. sport so uh looking forward to that but thanks once again uh, sam i hope it was as interesting for you as it was for us um if you had one last morsel of inspiration that you had to share um with the listeners today who are mostly you know product owners and growth marketers and uh, digital marketers and you know demand gen experts uh, crm specialists what would that uh, one morsel of inspiration be don't ignore discounts discounting is a, a really unsexy topic that marketers and technologists tend to want to ignore and because they do that they do too many discounts and they lose margin and they lose profit on running really generic uh broad deep discounts if you if you run a discount it needs to increase demand significantly for that to still maintain your revenue and your profit targets um i think a lot of people think that okay if i discount by 20% and my margin is is x then i only need to boost demand by 20% to make that back but that's not that's not true if you're if you discount by 20% and your gross margin is like 60% you actually need to increase sales by 50% to maintain your profit and margin targets so i think that overall like the thing that i'm kind of screaming out in the wind like a crazy person is that discounts matter discounts are extremely strategic and most brands are running really uh really overbroad unpersonalized discounts that don't connect with the member and don't really uh move behavior they just subsidize stuff that was going to happen anyways so that's that's my uh that's my um yeah uh gospel that i'm always thumping around happy to talk about that i also post on linkedin uh logs under my my name Sam Panzer about uh promotions best practices and how to run personalized offers absolutely thank you so much sam and i'm sure our um, audience would love to get in touch with you and discuss more on loyalty programs and especially data driven loyalty uh in terms of even you know, personalizing experiences very contextually um thanks once again for joining us um that's all for the episode folks um catch you in the next episode